Oh my gosh. I was at work the other night. A coworker was like, oh, what happened to your old car? And I was like, what do you mean? And like it rained. And she was like, don't you have a brown car? And I was like, no, my car's silver. Oh my gosh, it's just that dusty. <laughs> totally fair. I need to wash it. But... Hi, I'm Ruby. And I'm Soren. We're the hosts of We Live Here Too, a podcast about the people and spaces of rural America. In this episode, we'll talk about relational organizing with Emily and Nicole, who both grew up in Benton County. And we'll check in with our not a pundit, Darvin Graham, about a recent Iowa poll. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Technically, we met in 2008 when I was your fifth grade recess duty teacher. I don't. I don't totally remember you. I don't know if... Do you even remember me? No, I don't, to be honest. <laughs> no, but we had to have been on the playground together every other day. Yes. At, yes. That's at, probably true. Mm-hmm. You started doing, I guess, a lot of work with the people that you know um, in terms of how they were going to vote for the election in November after, you know, we, I started, like, bombarding you with political stuff <laughs> when I figured out that you were a registered voter and that you would probably vote for me, which I think you did. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I grew up um, pretty quietly um, out in the countryside, mm-hmm. which I liked a lot now that I can look back on that. Um, at the time, it felt very isolated but um, uh, because we were so far out, but now, now looking back, I like that a lot, actually. You do know everyone, and so there's always people there um, who kind of have your back and um, who are there to help you. So yeah, I do. I did like growing up here. There's just like a bunch of people that I kind of hadn't hadn't thought about in a couple years because um, just our paths hadn't crossed, uh, and then I run into them now, and it's just funny because I'm like, oh my goodness, how are you? Because <laughs> it's a small community, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know everybody, or everybody you know knows everybody. Yeah, my mom knows everybody. <laughs> yes. Your mom is super connected. <laughs> she it's is. It's true. Because I think that's how we really started bonding, is I realized who your mom was, and then I realized who your stepdad was, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's you? <laughs> like, uh, it was just weird. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah. You, have, you have those moments all the time, in the, at least where we live. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming people in other rural counties in Iowa have the same experience. I mean, yep. Emily, you live on a farm now. Now I do, yes. Yes. Yeah. You and Vinny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, my mom grew up on that farm, and then, and so she was definitely, like, farm life. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, we weren't really, because um, neither of my parents were in farming, but we lived two miles away from my grandparents and my uncles who farmed, mm-hmm. um, and we we had like some animals on on the farm or on at our house, but um, definitely chickens. And but but really, before I graduated, I wasn't. Um, I didn't really care about politics. I just didn't pay attention at all. And then um, when I graduated high school, I right like two days after I graduated. I left to go to California, and I worked at a camp there for the summer, mm-hmm. um, and that was 2016. So that was um, Clinton versus Trump, mm-hmm. and 
Um, so I had I still hadn't paid that much attention um, even during that election because honestly I didn't really think it was going to end up that way. <laughs> um, and so so then after that summer um, I met a lot of people and I learned a lot of things. Um, and so after that I definitely started noticing more. And then obviously. Um, once Trump got elected, things were changing pretty quickly, and the just the climate of the way people talked about things changed really quickly, um, and that kind of drew me to start paying attention more. Um, and then as I was in college, I definitely became more aware of environmental issues, and so that definitely drew me in even more because those things are severely affected by who's in office. Yeah, so then I... I definitely have been paying attention ever since. <laughs> Do you think it was less polarizing then? I mean, than it is now. Yes. Okay. But I was also, but I think that, I mean, I was biased and that I was pretty unaware and young, so. But still, you could be unaware yes. and young. Like, people weren't, right. you know, like, because I'm sure Merritt has maybe told you some of the things that, so my high school son has gone through. You know, not like outright, you know, trying to um, criticize him for not necessarily being a Trump supporter, but he has said that, you know, if you don't, before the election, this past election, if, if you didn't, you know, ascribe to that way of thinking, you really didn't politically fit in. Um, and that, I mean, you've seen, we've had Confederate flags in our school parking lots. Mm -hmm. Um, we've had Trump flags flying all day in our school parking lots. Uh, no Biden flags. I don't know what would happen if you tried to fly one. But he has always said to me, Merritt, that I just say nothing because there's no point. There, that uh, that viewpoint doesn't fit in very well, at mm -hmm. least not with those that are verbally, you know, vocal. They're outright. That, that reminds me, just as a quick aside, that mm -hmm. we were going to find out what would happen if you <laughs> flew a Biden flag, but then there was an insurrection. and yes. I decided it would not be a good idea to <laughs> fly a Biden flag no. from my truck as I drove around Benton County. Just kind of, um, just didn't seem right. Yeah. I, I still think you should try it and let me know what happens. Yeah, some time needs <laughs> some time needs to pass. <laughs> yes, May, maybe I can do that when uh, to to celebrate the. Uh, Hundred days in office. Oh, that's a like good that. idea. Oh, yeah. I wanted to do that for inauguration day, but it was still yeah. it was still too soon. So mm -hmm. anyway, but I digress. So then, okay, so you weren't you you weren't you know like talking about politics constantly at the dinner table or you know with your friends at lunch growing up. But could you just are there certain issues you think though that um, really did concern like you know your parents, um, your stepdad members of your immediate family, like your older siblings, you know, even if they weren't, they wouldn't say that they were politically, you know, active, but that concerned them that had to do with government. Yeah, I think that they're always, they've always been um, concerned with, like, the economy directly, and, mm -hmm. like, um, I'm, I'm, I can specifically remember I'm talking about gas prices and how those things are affected, um, as well as farming. I know, like, uh, like I remember that those conversations being discussed like around me mm -hmm. with at like family events and things, especially in, especially in the farming aspects. But, um, yeah, but I mean, like I, I would zone out so quick. On that stuff. <laughs> My dad was politically involved, but I wasn't really paying attention. But I think what this points out is that, you know, the everyday American, like your parents and, um, a lot of my relatives, they are concerned 
with those kitchen table issues, I mean, with their pocketbook issues. So, you know, you don't necessarily feel like you're politically involved, but, but you have a stake in what happens. And I think that's why relational organizing, which is what we're going to talk about now, um, works so well at this level because they do care about those issues. Mm -hmm. They need to care about those issues. And then we need to get them to the ballot box so and, that they're educated. And, right. And as the saying goes, all politics is local. It is. Mm -hmm. And so there are lots of people who don't think that they're politically active or who aren't politically no. active. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in politics, but they're very interested in specific issues mm -hmm. that affect them. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily connect the dot that that's political. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because how people, who gets elected, how they then vote on different bills, etc., affects those very things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a lot of those people don't want to be politically active for a good reason. Both parties are very bad at being down here on mm -hmm. this local grassroots level. I mean, I'm not saying that the Republicans aren't winning a lot of elections here or all of them, but I'm just saying they'll. most people will tell you that, you know, government doesn't care about me. Even if the person they want, wanted to win is now elected in office, it doesn't matter because the power imbalance is so poor. Um, so that could go into a whole nother conversation <laughs> of how we need better we need better messengers and we need people with a different backgrounds running for office. But we won't talk about that. We're going to talk about relational organizing. Okay. So, so Ruby, <laughs> uh, what is relational organizing? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. All right. So it is literally what Emily did um, without any. I mean, we've listened now what her background is with any real formal political training. But so here's a definition from the NAACP. Um, and so they've been organizing for like 110 years, something like that. Um, they said relational organizing is used to describe something or is used to describe something you do all the time. It's talking to people, you know, personally and persuading them to take an action on something. So people in general are more likely to do something um, if they're convinced to do it right by a friend or a loved one or just, you know, someone they trust. Um, and so we all need to be relational organizers. Emily did, and Nicole, who we're also going to talk to um, during this podcast, did an excellent job um, with their family. And then in the first podcast episode, Soren, you and I talked about um, how we compared relational organizing to the uptake of cover crops. In, an, in a community like this because mm -hmm. farmers are not going to do anything if their neighbor's not doing it. And if there's only one farmer doing it, then the rest of the farmers are invariably going to talk. I believe you just quoted yourself from episode one. I did. I think I did. They're going to talk at the local gas station or the local McDonald's or whatever and be like, what on earth is farmer Emily doing in that field? Why is she planting a bunch of turnips <laughs> with her white cat behind her? I mean, stuff like that. But then that's what gets people interested. Um... So we need to do that better here, you know, at the grassroots um, with our county parties. So, Emily, how on earth did you go about then? And, and you can tell us in, you know, however you want to, with names or with no names, but convincing some of your family to vote for me. So I was running as a Democrat um, when they more than likely did not vote for any other Democrats on the ballot. Or if they did, you know, it was, again, because they had some kind of personal connection. But um, I know this wasn't a one-off thing. Like, you spent some time trying to convince family members. And I think, did you even convince some to just vote in general that probably weren't going to vote? 
Yeah, so um, you did most of the work. I pretty much just pointed them <laughs> in the direction. Um, I don't think so. You did the good work. Let's put it that way. But you also said this is a this is a candidate that I know personally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I, um, I have been on opposite political fields of my parents for, the, I mean, the past four years, as long as I've been five years now mm-hmm. since I've been paying attention, I guess. And the conversations used to be more of um, arguments <laughs> that would get heated and weren't very well controlled um, <laughs> and didn't go anywhere except for bad feelings mm-hmm. after. Um, and then they slowly got further into just regular conversations being like, well, why do you actually think it's going this way? Like, why do you believe this? And then us explaining to each other, like, how things are going and then showing each other facts. Um, um, With my stepdad, we send each other articles, especially before the election. We were sending each other um, links to things all the time to help us both be educated on things. Um, Because, yeah, because I think sometimes it's just, like, you get so caught up on, on what you're seeing that you don't necessarily... You're, you're almost unable to see the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those conversations are really important um, because it really just helps you to figure out why someone, because especially with this election, it seemed like we were making everyone a villain if they're voting one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I think having those conversations really makes it more personal, makes you be able to see the human side of things. Um, so So I think... That when I was talking about you, it was easy because we talked about um, all of these things prior about what what their concerns were, um, and you are you were on the ballot as Democrat, but obviously your concerns were more about the people here, mm-hmm. and you understood where people were coming from, especially with agriculture and with being in a small town in rural Iowa, um, and. And you you made that abundantly clear on your website and in in those uh, flyers that you were <laughs> handing out. Um, so I just kind of showed them the the same things that you were saying, and I was just bringing it up to them mm-hmm. um, and slowly working it in. And then um, as the campaign went on, I obviously became more of a fan and got some T-shirts. So <laughs> you did. Uh, I yeah. love that one of your mom wearing the shirt. With your niece or nephew, I can't remember who she's with, the little one. and the, It's so cute because I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh, look at how proud Emily's mom is that she's going to vote for me. And you know what? The other day I was doing laundry, and I think I was washing my five-year-old's Ruby for Iowa shirt, this that black one that your mom has. And I put it in there, and I suddenly was like, God, I feel bad I didn't win for because I really wanted to win. Just like people like Emily's mom, you know, who she took a chance and voted for me because of the work Emily did. And then I didn't win. And I'm like, I hope she still kept the t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> she was, was wearing thinking. it two days ago. I oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that, that your mom. But, but I mean, how, you know, how, how often does a, does a state level candidate get vilified or, or made to be a villain? Isn't that more of like a higher level office? So perhaps that's an advantage. And then maybe the big challenge is uh, not trying to overcome being seen as a villain, but just not being known. I mean, how how many times did Ruby, you and I uh, talk to people who had no idea who their current representative even was? 
No, oh, yeah. Or that they lived in the same town. Yes. Yeah. Or th- yeah, exactly. Oh, no. That they literally lived down the street from him. Because they were they they were voting Republican. Mm-hmm. And then but but you managed to get family members to you know, like we've said to many people, you can vote Trump and you can vote me, but you managed to get the they could still keep that identity. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know anymore if people know what it means to be a Republican. It's just that's what they've always been. You know, that's what their family Doesn't is. Doesn't it mean having an R after your name on the ballot? Well, some for some people, that's all it means, right? I swear, because right? all they're doing is running for the power and what politics can get them. Yeah. But I, I won't mention names, but it's a, a neighboring House district. Um, the winning candidate, who was the Republican, um, said, and I can't even remember where I saw this now, but he said that one of the things that struck him was when he was talking to voters, they would stop him and say, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Because I'll only vote for a Republican. And he realized the value of having that R after his name. And what I didn't under we and we met the the Democratic candidate during the during the campaign season. What I didn't realize is that seat had been held by a Democrat for quite a while. You're talking about up in Buchanan County? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because yeah. they're, I mean, they've been kind of a progressive district in terms of um, conservation mm-hmm. and environmental issues. But I think what Emily was able to do is she was, they took that Republican identity into the ballot booth and and were, and then also were able to vote for Ruby, mm-hmm. which is the only way that this party here, the Iowa Democratic Party in Iowa, is ever going to build it back in rural Iowa. There's no right. other way. They have to do it that small they might feel like that's a waste of their energy and their time, but until you can get rural Iowa to come back, even if it's just for a few candidates. Um, the slogan, vote Democrats, is not a winning strategy. It's not. But getting to know you, the candidate, mm-hmm. and having someone who knows you then convince family members and friends to vote for you. But it's not. And could it, be. And she's not. And in my opinion, her and Nicole, Emily and Nicole, they weren't just doing it like like for this one off. I feel like what Emily said was she made the connection, you know, that that the, the issues Ruby is talking mm-hmm. about right. actually are issues that seem to jive with a lot of what you care about. Mm-hmm. So like your your stepdad then um, wanted to ask me some questions and and I think I think I reached out to him right by email then. Um, and he had said to you that that was fine. And so then he sent me um, some questions. And we went, we talked back and forth a few times, um, and his concerns were because he's a veteran. Um, they were very much you know concerns that government elected officials should care about, and really were not partisan at all. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was reading his questions, it just struck me like how far we have fallen. Like this should not be hard. Like mm-hmm. there should just be people in office who sit in. Library conference rooms like this on a Saturday morning and meet with 10 people from the community. And then they do it again throughout the day. And it's not a big, huge deal because it's just mm-hmm. part of life that if you want to go talk to your house rep, you are able to do that somewhere in the county pretty mm-hmm. easily um, throughout every month. And I think until we get some Democrats, rural Democrats in office that start doing those things, we're not going to make any more connections. Like the NAACP said, everybody does it. We all relational organize. Without even knowing We it. don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need, like JD has said, um, Shulton, we need more messengers. 
like Emily and Nicole and us, you know, no matter if we decide to run again or not, but we need more people that, that keep doing that work year round in areas like this that just that keep it up. You know, even if there isn't an election on the horizon, just keep talking to your family members. Okay, so JD, you know, has said that he's starting, like he's going to announce it this summer. He has this new venture or whatever to basically invest in. Is that in. the second of his big three I know, he's got three big announcements, right? And I don't know which You tried one to get him to say what office he was going to run for yeah, in 2022. He like that, and he, he, uh, he did kind of act like he might, so. Okay, so his, his messenger idea, you know, that we need, that as wonderful as it is when we bring all these organizers in here, remember I was even trying to get you to get an organizer job. Oh my gosh, last yes. summer I was. <laughs> I gave her like access to that Google Doc, you know, that has like all, okay, whatever. But so his idea that we need to invest in messengers on the ground that are here and from here and, you know, not from some faraway state, uh, it, it, it's people like Emily that need jobs like that, mm-hmm. like a full-time salary with benefits and where she becomes as... Uh, we've had a conversation with the Blackhawk County Vice Chair about this, where she becomes a member of the community where people know, oh, well, Emily, Emily's connected with the Democratic Party. That's why she's at our city council meeting. Mm-hmm. That's why she's at our county supervisor meeting. And and you just even it almost becomes like you are able to build playful banter with the Republicans in positions of power mm-hmm. here on the ground because they 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 trust you. They maybe aren't going to you know vote for the people you're talking about, but you create this dynamic where Emily's the person and we trust her. So what does and she, she actually lives, have and to and say? And she lives in our and community. And she lives here. She lives on a farm in you know far western Benton County, and she understands what's going on. She wasn't dropped in here right mm-hmm. before the election. You know, I, I, that reminds me, thinking back to um, leading up to the caucuses, there was a point, I, I, obviously we knocked doors in a number of communities around here, but there was one day when I was knocking doors in my precinct. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the organizer had told me to say was, you should tell people that you're the Kamala captain for this precinct. Did you and do that it? You live down the, that you live down the street. This is your precinct. And I did that, and the number of times that someone, someone's eyes just kind of lit up and said, oh, wow, this is one of my neighbors and mm-hmm. not someone who's been, like, airdropped in yep. from who knows Those where. where. Mm-hmm. That, that seemed to make a difference, at least in terms of being receptive to a message. I think it does. I mean, look at all the work that the NAACP has done for 110 some years. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have gotten any of that done without people knowing their community and their community members. I mean, the groundswell in the civil rights movement is what moved, eventually, the needle that white people controlled. I mean, it, it just, you have to, somebody has to start moving that needle like you did with your family. How many people do you think voted for me that maybe wouldn't have? That you're related to. I mean, was it like more than your mom and stepdad? I know at least four people that I directly talked mm-hmm. to voted for you. One of them wasn't going to vote at all because he didn't want to vote for the president because mm-hmm. of that. Yep. Um, but I was like, okay, well, you don't have to. You should. You should care about the people, like local, um, mm-hmm. that you are. Um, Sorry, you should care about local candidates yes. because those are the ones who are going to affect you the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I shared like different resources to like look at those, like what the um, 
like websites that have information on your candidates because mm-hmm. I I personally struggle to find that information for a long time, especially like two years ago when it was just our locals and not obviously the presidential, which a lot of people don't even know it's time to vote, which mm-hmm. is education is just <laughs> a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know that that one, um, they did end up voting and did vote for you. And then I know I got my sister and my parents. And I don't know if my sister voted for a presidential, but... But she, you think if she voted, she checked our box? She, yeah, I think she told me she voted. That's for awesome. <laughs> Seriously, Emily. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for that. It means so much. I'm not kidding. I see that picture of your mom in my shirt in my head anytime I see those shirts now. Yeah. I'm like, we're, not, we're not asking for 100 votes or 1,000 votes or 100 people or 1,000 people. Mm-mm. It's like four people at a time or yes. one at a time. But Well, and I think even after an election, you know, where everybody that you vote for doesn't win or maybe your state, like, you know, those of us who voted for Biden here, well, our votes you know, contributed to the popular vote count, but didn't contribute to getting him elected mm-hmm. necessarily. I still think you own those votes. And I think people really need to remember that for both reasons. Like, you know, if, if you voted for Kim Reynolds, she's done a lot of bad stuff. And you got to own that. And then next time, you know, you can still be a Republican, but you got to do better when you go into the ballot box. And then I think it's also, if you voted for me and we didn't win, you still own that vote. Mm-hmm. You know, you made, you voted for, you know, somebody that was really going to invest in your community and talk to people and make sure that the next time, you know, you try to find those same votes, if it, even if it's not Ruby. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you need to listen to family members who are trying to talk to you and yeah. just, you know, it has to be shoved down their throat, which it sounds like you didn't, that you were trying, yeah, that, I, that, you that, were very strategic <laughs> in what you were doing and just slowly sending them information and building that relationship yeah yeah well I mean you're thanking me which thanks but um (laughs) but they I mean they're they're educated people so they wouldn't have voted for you if they didn't believe in Mm -hmm. what you were saying and trying to do so right but it it was getting them to open up to consider Mm -hmm. someone versus just going into Mm -hmm. the ballot box or the the voting booth rather Mm -hmm. and marking whoever's name had an r after yes right and they were still republicans I think that's what people really have got to start recognizing is that you can still be a Republican and split your tickets because that's what Iowa used to be. Can I, can I call you out? What? You, you've admitted this before. You said you've uh, voted for Grassley before. Yes, I voted for him twice. And, and yeah. I got vilified on Twitter for and, doing but, it. God. But you're still a Democrat. <laughs> I am still a Democrat. And I still walk into that ballot booth and I'm a Democrat. But right. sometimes I vote for Republicans. Right. Yes. And years, and years ago, I voted for Jim Leach, who was a very moderate Republican. And a lot of people actually think he was a Democrat. Yeah. They are confused. Yeah, that, that is interesting. And mm. see, again, this, this is why when you go into the ballot box, you can keep that identity, you know, that, that you grew up with, which a lot of people, is very, you know, they registered at 18 as a Republican, and they're going to be a Republican, and they're fiscally conservative, and that's who I am, and you're not going to, you know, cancel me. And I'm... I've never, ever wanted to cancel Republicans. I just want there not to be a trifecta in this state anymore and some purple to start coming back. If you could tell people, you know, who want to talk to their family members um, now or between now and the next election um, and get them to vote for specific candidates that maybe go against, you know, their identity or who they are, what would you tell them 
those people that need help <laughs> trying to convince. I think just doing the little things, taking it step by step, um, talking about things as, as they happen. Yeah, just doing my own research I thought helped um, so that I could could back things. So like when I, I talked to you about all the things that you felt strongly about and then I talked to my parents about what they felt strongly about and I compared those notes and then there was questions. So then mm-hmm. I, I even had you and my stepdad <laughs> talk to each other directly to, so that you could, mm-hmm. you could word them even better than I could, obviously. But no. um, I remember you texting me though sometimes and be like, I need you to tell me what you think about this. And it'd be something very specific or what, what do you know about this? And mm-hmm. I knew that's what you were doing. And I thought, God, Emily is so kick ass. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously. I think I told you so many times, I wish we could hire you <laughs> and pay you to be part of our campaign. We didn't have any paid staff, by the way, but Emily would have been a good paid staff. Member, <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think those were the things that I found were important to people. It was like the really small stuff that I might not, they might not be on the top of my list, but they were on the top of someone else's list mm-hmm. that I was having that conversation with. So figuring out, I mean, that's marketing, was figuring out like what their problem is yep. to try to solve it. So, I mean, I think I think you can apply that when having those conversations with people. you is, Part of your degree is marketing, isn't it? Business and communication, yeah. See, JD is right about mm-hmm. Van being a disaster, and we need to bring in more consumer yeah. data. But I was going to say, okay, I don't know if you know this, and we can end on this, but that your stepdad, one of the things he was really concerned about was your health insurance debacle, that whole mess. Because, you know, insurance I know, yeah, you are his child. Mm-hmm. And and he is a service member, a retired service mm-hmm. member. And it, that was an issue that really affected him deeply, you yeah. know, as a father, a stepfather. And I remember, you know, thinking as we were communicating, like, like he's just a person mm-hmm. and he just wants to help his kid. Like, right. and this is what politics should be. It's... Mm-hmm. at its heart that it should be you need to help people because they don't have any other connection to their government other than their elected officials are supposed to be you know that path to making things better yeah 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 I mean I I definitely I think as of as a vet that's something he's proud of as he served his time and Mm -hmm. now like the government's supposed to be helping him out because he you know did his work for 20 years and um yeah so I've I've been taken off of their health insurance because i was I turned 22 mm-hmm. and then they like theirs is being affected this year it's changing and they have to pay now a premium for mm. them to have health insurance even though he served 20 years um and I mean I don't I don't really think that that's fair but like that's that is a problem I mean yeah obviously that he needed to address mm-hmm. um and but that's such a big thing for him but I hadn't even considered I that being either. a thing mm-hmm. um yeah, so that's that's one of those things that you just had to fish out to figure out. Yes, because it was a weird loophole, and I like mm-hmm. fell down a rabbit hole on the Veterans Administration page, like trying to figure out what was he talking about. And I, I mean, I did so then I could have a conversation with him. But I was like, this is total crap. Mm-hmm. I can't believe no one has fixed this problem. Like, and this really this concerns a man who lives in a small town in rural Iowa, and he doesn't. You know, there's nobody talking about it mm-hmm. except us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like that's what set you apart from the other candidates is that you did that research. You had that conversation, figured that out, and then you and then you ha- tried to figure out a, the best way to go about 
solving it so or or what you would do if if you became elected um and yeah so that's I mean that was like one of the big things I was telling them is that you do care you are a part of this community you have kids invested like you Mm -hmm. are very invested in the community um and I think that was one of the main things that really helped them to see that it's not Republican versus Democrat it's it's the people who are gonna make a difference and care for you um when it comes down to election. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun talking with you too. Yeah, I always love seeing you, Emily. Next time, bring Vinny, okay? Okay, Okay. we'll do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Nicole, um, today. You grew up in Atkins, which is a town kind of on the edge of the eastern side of Benton County. Yeah, it's not far at all. I think it's what a 15 minute drive to Cedar Rapids yeah it's close which is why Atkins right now the growth is is exploding and I read this week um in the Benton County Supervisor minutes that they have requested so right now they they don't have a police force um like most of the rural towns in Benton County they use the sheriff as their police um as their coverage law enforcement coverage and they I don't know how many hours they have right now that they're contracted for like under 20 and they've requested 40 they want 40 hours a week so they want basically a deputy hired for atkins because the growth is exploding so much in that community there are over 2,000 people now but when you lived there and grew up there and then where you grew up um can you tell us what it was like i mean what the community was like when you grew up it was really small when i was you know under 10 years old um they hadn't done all of the developments that they have now it was just regular small town Iowa um and then you know they they started expanding um would that be on the east side was where they started and now they've expanded on all sides really Mm -hmm. and it's I mean it's become a, a decent sized town I think it's really cool that people have decided to move out there it's exciting I I agree with Nicole to have a community in a rural, uh, smaller county. We only have like 20, 25,000 residents um, start to grow like that. And it is because of housing. I mean, that's what I've read, that Atkins is the one community where they are a, they're not landlocked, um, like Shellsburg kind of is right now. They can't seem to um, get any of the ag land around them developed. Um, Bell Plains kind of having the same problem, but um, that Atkins is able to expand out right now in terms of housing and everybody knows that housing is a mess just period growing up uh your family uh who you grew up with how politically aware do you i mean if if from your viewpoint um were they and then also you you know how politically aware were you and then and then bring us to today um how politically aware and active your um family that's still in atkins are and i guess if you want to tell us you know how they fall on the spectrum um the political spectrum I would say growing up, my parents were not super into politics. Um, You know, I I remember them talking about Clinton and then, you know, I was in fourth grade when 9-11 happened. So that was kind of my intro to politics. Um, But my parents have just always been all over the political spectrum. They voted for super right wing Republicans. They voted for pretty progressive Democrats and everywhere in between. I think they've even voted for some libertarians and stuff like that. 
I feel like the word progressive really doesn't belong to the Democratic Party. I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It does not at all. Yeah, right? <laughs> I feel like progressivism, especially in rural counties, rural districts, um, if we were playing it right, it, we should not have a problem drawing people from both parties, all spectrums. But I think Democrats, I don't, I, I mean, I think the party leadership of our of the Iowa Democratic Party has forgotten that truth. I really do, because mm -hmm. there's a reason we were able to elect Harkin so many times alongside Grassley. Um, and people felt like it was a good balance. I don't know. We're not discussing what Grassley's become today, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's but, very but it frustrating. But it was a good balance. It was a good balance. Um, I think the so many times that we've talked to J.D., I feel like that was a big part of his campaign, that progressivism is a different is it's a different form of politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. it, it's part of our past, but it's something that the Democratic Party forgot, and so he was trying to remind um, voters <laughs> that I'm not necessarily a Democrat. So, like, I've always, you know, I've never thought of just voting for a Democrat because they're a Democrat. My parents always taught me to vote for the issues that matter to me. Like, you know, my dad's been in a union my whole life. And so that's something that's very important to me is where do candidates fall on um, unionization and, and workers' rights and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I, it just my parents taught me that it doesn't matter what party a person's in. What matters is what they actually stand for. So are they... Um do they do either of them have they ever been registered with one of the two um, main parties or are they are they independents? Maybe you don't know. I'm sure they've probably been registered to both parties at different mm -hmm. times in their lives. Um, like I used to be registered as a libertarian. Mm -hmm. I think today I'm registered as a Democrat still, but ideally I would be registered as an independent most of the time. Mm -hmm. So then. During the 2016 election, um, Hillary um, and Trump, mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, I should say, and <laughs> Donald J. Trump, um, how did your parents fall then? Do you know? How did they fall? I, I know that my dad voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. I, I know that. I have a feeling my mom just didn't vote. Mm -hmm. um, they have always had a distaste for the Clintons, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm guessing that she just didn't vote. Um, but yeah, my, my dad voted for Donald Trump in 2016. He did not vote for him in, uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. I know that. And did your, so, so both of your parents, I mean, are they fairly reliable voters though? Is that, how, I mean, would you consider them that during the presidential elections anyway? Right. Yeah. They, they always vote for president. They don't always vote for everything else that's on the ticket in a presidential oh. election year. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's one and I mean, that's an opportunity because they don't understand how to research all these other candidates they've never heard of. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of have to talk to them about, you know, how does Ruby compare to the presidential nominee? Like, if you're going to vote for Biden, do, would you also want to vote for Ruby mm -hmm. or, you know, vice versa? So. so tell us how that conversation went when you when you asked them about voting for Ruby uh, or how they, what they were thinking in terms of the, the Iowa House race? It was a series of conversations over probably a few months. 
um, because I just didn't know where my parents were at the time. Like I, I didn't know at the time whether my dad was going to vote for Trump again. So Mm. I wanted to keep it civil. (laughs) Um, so I just kind of asked them, was like, Hey, have you, you know, do you know anything about Gearhold? Like, has he done anything for you as your representative? And they basically had no idea. Do you know that he lives in your same town? Right. They basically had no idea who he was Hmm. or what he'd done or anything. So they didn't know Um, that he lived there? In Atkins? I, I don't think so, no. <laughs> Where Do your parents live in city limits? Yeah, yeah. They live, uh, well, like right in the center of town in mm-hmm. one of the older houses. Okay. So, Nicole, you were saying that it was a series of conversations because you were trying to gauge, um, you know, where, the, where your parents were thinking, what they knew about the race. And so when, when did it, when did things kind of click uh for them in terms of the the race and voting for Ruby versus her opponent? Um, a lot of the conversation happened with just my mom. And, and a lot of this was just via text too, by mm-hmm. the way. So that kind of made it easier in a way. Um, but for her, it was just, why am I going to vote at all? Because none of these people have done anything mm-hmm. for us basically was her thought. And that's been her thought for a long time at every level, you know, state, local, um, federal, just what have these politicians done for us? And I get that. Like it, it's totally valid. I feel the same way about a lot of politicians that have been in office forever. And I just, you know, told her a lot about Ruby's positions and just why would you not take a chance on this person that has like legitimate ideas of how to make your town better, your County better, your area better. Was that a fairly easy conversation? Because earlier you said um, that unionization and workers' rights were important issues for your, for your family. So was that an easy conversation to convince your parents to vote for Ruby? I think it was fairly easy just because they didn't have, I, like I said, they didn't know who, who Gearhold was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not like I had to disprove someone else's reputation. It was just, this is how things are for you today. This is who is in office today. Why wouldn't you give this other person a shot at making it better? Right. So it, it was pretty easy to get them to see that. It was mo- The biggest challenge was just getting them to make sure they filled in that bubble on the ballot. Right. Because otherwise it it would have just been blank. Exactly. And that's something that we noticed in, in a number of different, well, basically I think all of the precincts, there was definitely a drop off from the number in the number of votes from president down to the house race. Um, so, So do you have any sense if you hadn't had these conversations with your parents, do you have any sense whether they might've voted for, uh, this particular race, or if so, how they might have voted? I think they just wouldn't have voted for this race. And I think there's a lot of things on the ballot that they probably just, and maybe they didn't vote for anyone because I didn't, you know, I didn't tell them to vote for Teresa Greenfield or whoever else was on the ballot at the time. So they might have left a lot of things blank. Because that happened with a lot of people. I don't think that Okay, and I feel poorly saying this, but I don't think I realized how many people just voted top of the ticket and left the rest of it 
like, right? honestly, because I always felt like if I leave anything blank, it's possible my ballot will be rejected. Like, I don't want my <laughs> ballot to get kicked out for whatever reason. So even though those judges, you know, on the back page are always like, oh, I got to fill out all the judges. I always just want to get to the end of it, make sure everything's filled in. What do you think, Nicole? <laughs> it needs to be done better um, in rural areas, especially in terms of organizing um, and based off of the experiences, you know, you've had with your family and your parents just to get them to, you know, know who is even on their ballots. I mean, we need to have a party that cares. Like, mm. and I know you've talked about this a lot. It's just the party is based in Des Moines and they've got offices in Cedar Rapids and Iowa City and whatever, and that's it. They stop in these rural communities when they need a vote. Other than that, you can't find them. And I mean, like talking about people not knowing that Gearhold lives there, like what is he doing throughout the year? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't he do a town hall? Like why doesn't he do anything? Nicole, do you have any final thoughts for us? What Ruby did when she ran was amazing. I, I feel like you did bring a lot of different people to the table. You listened to a lot of different people. Like obviously not everyone agreed with every idea that you have, but you listened to Republicans and Democrats about their worries and you tried to fix things. And I hope that people respect that and people use your campaign as a model for how it should be done. Um, because you didn't act like a typical Democrat <laughs> and just wander around the county not actually listening to people. Like, look at the things that people like Nicole and Emily were doing. And you know there were people doing this all over. Thousands and thousands of Iowans trying their best um, under very difficult circumstances to get a Democrat elected because we live in a trifecta and there should not ever just be one party rule. So, Or not just a Democrat, but someone who actually cares. Yes, that they were trying to turn the conversation slightly. Mm -hmm. um, we're not saying we're trying to, you know, turn this car completely around, um, but just... <laughs> Like, take a side road every once in a while. Don't make me turn this I car know. around and go home. But the GOP here in Iowa does not listen to anyone. But like you said, they're, you know, they're talking points that are generated um, not by uh, more than more often than not, not by Iowans, not by people that live here. And that's not right. Um, and I really hope that in 2022, rural parties in particular have received some kind of investment from Des Moines, from the state party, so that people like Nicole and Emily and Darwin um, feel like all the work they did was not for not, and that, you know, it wasn't for not, and that we're building on that work they did slowly. Like Ivy Schuster, um, the Senate candidate here, we ran alongside, state Senate candidate, um, said recently, you know, this needs to be a 10-year plan or more. But mm -hmm. until you start that plan, there's no plan. Nope. There's nothing. Nope. And it still feels like that. It does. <laughs> it absolutely feels like everything got flatlined and we're still laying here on the ground. Right. So thank you, Nicole. <laughs> You're welcome, Ruby. <laughs> it was good to talk to you again. We're going to talk to Darvin, our not-a-pundit pundit today, about... Uh, a poll that was published, it looks like March 16th, it was a seltzer poll. The Des Moines Register headline for the poll said, Governor Kim Reynolds' job approval slides. Majority wishes wishes she would decide not to seek re-election. Um, and then the biggest headline out of this um, poll was that 52% of Iowans 
say they hope Reynolds decides not to seek a second full term as governor. Um, but then the statistic that uh, we kind of zeroed in on that's, you know, buried further um, in the polling is that uh, despite the fact that 52% of Iowans, you know, would like Reynolds to not run, and I would count myself in that 52%, as I think all three of us would, um, Reynolds gets her highest approval ratings um, from a variety of populations, um, including those 45 and older, 53%. Uh, Protestants, 53%, men, 56%, Catholics, 50, 57%. And then this, I think, is the important one. Those who live in rural areas, 69%. So, Darvin, what are your thoughts on the word salad that I just spewed at you? Well, thanks. Awesome, uh, yeah, way. thanks, you guys, for having me uh, back again. It's good to be with you. Um, yeah, welcome back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really think that I think it's interesting to, to kind of take, take a snapshot of, of some thoughts of Iowans at this point in, in um, the year. I don't really personally think it has a lot of bearing on what we're going to see in 2022. Um, I think it indicates that, um, that the Republican party and the conservative viewpoint, you know, as a, as a monolith, which it, which it isn't uh, entirely, but uh, you know those beliefs I think are very strong in rural areas, and um, you know I think I think it shows that. So, but you know when we're looking at 2022, which is kind of the big question, is like what what is this going to change? What is what results are we going to see um, from uh, from this bit of information? I really don't see it having that drastic of an impact. I think um, there is a pretty wide showing for the Republican Party in 2020. Um, and I really don't see much reason for that to be slowing down or or really stopping, maybe slowing down a little bit, just depending how the rest of the pandemic kind of happens. But, um, but, but I, I think for right now, the state is pretty solidly, pretty solidly red. Could you, um, so when we were prepping for this um, segment, you you um, quoted stats from, so how Hubble did against Reynolds in 2018, and then um, you also quoted uh, Clinton and um, Trump split in Iowa, and then um, Trump and Biden split, you know, four years later yep. in Iowa. Could you could you say that again? I think that was enlightening. <laughs> well, as far as I think your your question at that time was, um, do we think we're going to see the same kind of turnout as mm -hmm. we saw in 2020, which was a record amount? Um, and and I don't I don't think we will. We don't have a presidential election coming up in 2022. We don't have a Trump name on the ballot, so I think that's that kind of firebrand is not going to. Um, I, I think that's going to make less, you know, have less voters coming out. Um, but I don't think that means there's enough, that's enough of a decline to really shift the results. Because if you look um, in, in 2020, um, Trump's uh, margin of victory in the state of Iowa over President Biden were is around 8% in 2016, when Trump ran against Clinton, the, the margin of victory there was nine and a half percent. So pretty close to the same 
um, a little bit more, I think probably because he was running against a woman in 2016 and he was running against um, Biden in, in 2020. Um, but if you look at the number, if you look at Reynolds' margin of victory against Hubble in 2018, it's around 3%. So I think what we're going to see is the margin dip down because the the overall turnout is probably going to be much less than what we saw in 2020 here in, in 2022. I think it'll drop down to around that same 3%, but I could even see it being higher in favor of the GOP. I think you could see it. You could see a 5% margin of victory. Um, I think that's, that's very um, possible. Do you think that the selection whoever comes out of the democratic primary for a gubernatorial candidate, does it matter who wins? Does it matter? I mean, is, is there, is there a path to victory based on the person, you know, as opposed to the party? Do you know what I'm saying? I hope that makes sense. Well, I think it absolutely matters. I I think because that's an opportunity, whether, whether that candidate wins or loses um, that that's a platform one way or the other. So, you know, when you're thinking of a whole political career, that could be a launching point for something, you know, five, 10 years down the road that, that we're not really tracking at this point. So, I mean, yes, I think it matters who, um, who becomes that nominee. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think there is the kind of political will and the kind of population um, that, that we would need to, to really see a flip in 2022. You think about Wisconsin being a, a rural and an urban state in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We're not Wisconsin. We don't have a Milwaukee. We don't have a Madison with that kind of volume of urban voters. Um, we have a lot of, we have a lot of rural spaces and a lot of rural counties and a lot of rural voters. And, and I think that those trends that we've been seeing in rural Iowa are going to continue. Well, so Soren, you just did the math. So if 52% of Iowans don't want Kim Reynolds to run again, how many of those people possibly live in Polk County and Des Moines as compared to the rural areas? The, the two numbers that I did, uh, that I did look up here. So, you know, you talked about Reynolds having uh, a lot of support in rural areas, 69%. Mm-hmm. Um, but if 52% of voters across the state don't want her to run again, um, the thing we were looking at was, well, do all of, do all of those 52% live in Des Moines? So mm-hmm. just the, just, just Polk County has a population of about 490,000. So just shy of half a million, which is over 15% of the entire state's population. And the Des Moines metro area is almost 700,000, which is about 22% of the state's population. So that could certainly skew things. Yeah, I think, I think really it does. One thing, one thing to consider here too, is that like, maybe there's 52% of of voters, um, even if they are not all in Polk County or are not all in Lynn or Johnson County, those folks might not prefer her to to mm-hmm. run again, but they would definitely not, they would much less prefer voting for a Democrat. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, that Yeah, that's the thing when you were talking before, that's the thing that I was thinking of. Just because 52% of people don't want her to run doesn't mean they're going to vote for the Dem who mm-hmm. 
supposedly yeah. will run against her. And I think gender is is a is a playing a role in that as well too. Um, yeah, you know, I think you'd see you saw it in the disparity between the margin of victory between Trump and between Ernst over over Greenfield. Ernst got less of a, a margin, but still won. I think that has a lot to do with gender, and I think some of that is no doubt playing out in the governor's um, position as well. So not or notwithstanding the fact that this is still early, we're what a year and a half or so away from the 2022 election. And notwithstanding the fact that polls change over time, sometimes dramatically, is it safe to say that you were perhaps suggesting that the Iowa Democratic Party might uh, stumble with these poll results, just like it seemed to do, to do with this past presidential elections results? And as in particular, like you mentioned Greenfield and, and Ernst in that election. And I mean, IDP talked pretty strongly about how well they were going to do and they just like flopped. So do you, do you perhaps see the same thing happening again? That poll that came out like two weeks before the election, people lost their shit and didn't believe it that Abby was going to mm-hmm. lose. It. And yeah. I mean, and then look what it's the same pollster. So, right. I mean, it's Ann Seltzer. So. Right. But IDP, you know, prior to that was looking at other polls that leaned more, more democratic. And I mean, I was surprised by the, by the Seltzer poll, but it was spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I, I think I, I, I choose to believe uh, Jan Seltzer when she puts out a poll, I think she's got a pretty good track record and does things pretty scientifically but I think we're just it, the context is so wildly, wildly different right now with where we are at in, in this next uh, political cycle. I think that I think if we're talking about the Iowa Democratic Party, I think they need to first look at their most recent election and what that is telling them rather than look at a poll and, you know, a year and a half out from the next election. Not that I see them doing that. I don't see a lot of ink or, or, or uh, hand-wringing going on, ink being spilled or hand-wringing going on about this particular poll. I think there's a little bit of of news making going on from the Des Moines Register. I mean, you kind of look at how they've released the results. It's like they're, uh, and we love the Des Moines Register, uh, but like, um, you know, you, you, see, you see their organization kind of rolling out the results, not as one big, like, here's what we found out in the poll, like, but here's 10 stories piece by piece of like every little bit of like, you know, so there's, there's a little bit of that going on too. I think. The poll also talked about how the Republican leadership in the legislature seemed to be out of touch with what Iowa voters want. So maybe we should talk a little bit about that as well. The only thing that I would say, you know, being on the ground here and talking, I mean, I do talk to a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life every day And I think this is something that our party has got to figure out how to tap into, but that as long as people have a job, especially in rural Iowa, as long as they have a job and they can, they can, they can feed their kids each day, they can go home and go to bed. They're not necessarily losing their house. They're going to keep voting the way they've traditionally been voting, which for a lot of them is Republican. So 
as much as it sucks that they maybe don't like the things that are happening in the legislature, and, and I know by and large, these are white people, if you're not, if and no one wants anyone to lose their job. I don't want people to lose their jobs. But if you are not taking that hit directly, you're going to keep that status quo. And I don't know if that's an Iowa way of thinking, but but you bust the status quo and you might lose your job. I really think a lot of people think that you can shove a lot of this under the rug, which a lot of people do, sadly. So people who say they're unhappy with what's happening in the state legislature, a lot of those people then turned around and voted for Gerhold as opposed to me. They did. And I was looking the other day at our um, campaign literature and you know the things that we were supposedly, which we were standing for. And I thought, these are great things, but, but we never once said, if you have a job, we're going to make sure you keep that job, which to a lot of people, that's what matters the most, that they don't have their entire lives upended and lose their job and have to go on welfare and figure out how to get health insurance for their kids. And I don't know, like it is such a complicated mess in rural Iowa because we're at the mercy, we're at the mercy of corporations, but those corporations, the strings are are pulled by the Republican party, but we can't get people to see it because they're afraid. And I get that. I don't want to lose my job. I get that. I don't want to be left out there on the edge. No job. What happens to you when you have no job? Bad things. So I think you're, you're right on when it comes down to like, just being able to survive, being able to like pass down things to the next generation and not have worry or concern about being able to survive at that level or, or, you know, to, I think you're right on Ruby with, with that. We thank our guests for joining us today. And we thank you, our listeners for tuning in. Let us know what you thought about this episode or to suggest a topic or guest for a future episode. You can email us at podcast at we live here too.us. Connect with us on social media at We Live Here Pod or visit our website, We Live Here Too.us. <laughs>